Amen. Praise the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Father God, take me, mold me, use me, fill me. In Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen. Genesis chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, read this way. And he, Melchizedek, blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. These are the words of the mysterious priest king, Melchizedek, given to Abram after Abram has had success in battle against the coalition of pagan kings roughly 4,000 years ago. This is the biblical story that we're going to look at today in Genesis chapter 14 and would invite you to open up a Bible to look with me at Genesis chapter 14. And in the context of this particular story, it is clear that God Most High The creator of heaven and earth is the one who protected and who provided for Abram in this particular battle. When we think about our lives today and we think about blessings in our lives today, sometimes it can be rather difficult to distinguish between God's blessing in our life versus earthly comforts and provisions and goods and successes. Let me ask a few hypothetical questions to sort of get to the heart of what I'm saying. Is a 4,000 square foot house uh, the result of God's blessing or is it simply the product of circumstantial opportunities and good genetics and hard work? Is a brand new Mercedes-Benz clearly the result of God's blessing? Is a large and healthy family the result of God's blessing? Or can it be explained by other earthly circumstances and factors? In fact, there is a Huffington Post article that I bet some of you have read that's been circulating on social media, particularly lately, Uh, that cautions Christians, that cautions people of God against attributing every material success or every good fortune, so to speak, in life, clearly to uh, the blessing of God, clearly to the hand of God. And I certainly uh, recognize and agree with the general message of the author of that article, yet it is often difficult to distinguish between God's blessing on our lives uh, versus earthly goods and successes that perhaps come elsewhere. Abram wrestled with this same idea. Abram wrestled with determining, distinguishing, discerning between what is from the Lord and what is not as he walked by faith through this life. And as he exercised faith in God, faith in the God of Scripture... Lord led him to discern between the two. In fact, faith in God is key to to living the Christian life. 
Because faith in God Most High provides courage, discernment, and patience to wait on God's full blessing. Faith in God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth, is is key to the Christian life because faith provides courage, discernment, and patience to wait on God's full blessing. That's the central truth that I believe we'll see this morning from God's Word in Genesis chapter 14. And do want you to uh, look together with me at Genesis chapter 14. Let me invite you to follow along as we look at God's Word together. Genesis chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. At the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar, Ariok king of Elassar, Kedor Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim. These kings went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is, the Dead Sea Valley. For twelve years they had been subject to Kedor Laomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. Verse 5, in the fourteenth year... Kador Laomer and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephites in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Shaveh, Kirithiam, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran near the desert. And they turned back and went to Enmishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazizon, Tamar, verse 8. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Belah, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Kedor Laomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariot, king of Elassar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. These four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Got all that? Next time you're having a hard time getting your child or your grandchild to go to sleep at night, you may want to turn to Genesis chapter 14 and begin reading. Now here we have this list of all these difficult names, difficult kings, territories, peoples, places. And we as people of faith who believe in this book, who believe that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for us today have the the task and the opportunity to look at a passage like this in its context and attempt to deduce what what God has for us in this passage of Scripture. And He certainly has something for us in this and every passage of Scripture. So here's, here's ultimately, I think, what is taking place here. There are these five kings, uh, five kings in Jordan near the Dead Sea region who have been subject to a foreign king. A pagan king from the northeast, and we're going to call him King K. His name is Kedor Laomer, or something like that. But King K from now on, and King K has been has come in at some point prior to this, and he's conquered these kings and their territories. And now, all of a sudden, in the thirteenth year, these kings have rebelled against him, probably in the form of no longer paying the tribute that he has demanded from them, no longer paying him 
uh, a tribute of produce and money, the goods that he has required. So as you can imagine, as a king who wants to have a, a vast territory, a great territory, he is a bit upset about this. He's angry about this. And so he gathers his allies, some other kings from his region, and he goes on a journey to subject these people, these kings, back to him and attempts to conquer every people in his path along the way. For those of you that like maps, I think we have a map of this particular journey. And on this map, uh, you can see the route that King K and his allies took. In fact, that's what this map, I know it's difficult to read, difficult to see, but that's what this map is attempting to depict. So somewhere off in this region, off the map, is where King K is from. So he gathers his troops, gathers his allies, four other kings, and they begin a trek southward. And they conquer some people in this area, the Rephmites, and down here, the the, uh, the Zuzites, and down even further, the Emites, and on down they conquer the, the Horites, and they continue on down, way down here somewhere in the desert, before beginning their journey back up to the northwest and conquering the Amalekites and the Amorites. And somewhere right in here below the Dead Sea, uh, they come out, and these, these five kings that have rebelled against him encounter him in the valley of Sidim. And King Kay and his troops continue to have great success conquering those kings once again. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 14 that they seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. Verse 12, they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot in his possession since he was living in Sodom. Now for us as people who've been following this journey looking at Abram's life as the central human character in this portion of God's word, that ought to automatically sort of set off an alarm to us. Well, this is why this is important. In other words, this is why all this background information about kings and territories and battles has been mentioned ultimately to tell us that these foreign invaders have come in, they've been raiding this promised land that that God has promised Abram's descendants, and now Lot a relative of Abram, nephew of Abram, has been captured by these foreign kings. So Abram is a man who has been called by God, who is waiting patiently on the promises of God in his own life to be fulfilled, a man who has just acted in faith and given his nephew Lot his choice of the land. This Abram is now in trouble. His own Flesh and blood, his own relative has been captured by a foreign invader. As he waits the blessing of God to be fulfilled in his own life. And this this is not something that only happened in Abram's day. In fact, the people of God in this life, the people of God experience conflict as they pursue God's blessing. The people of God experience conflict in life as as they pursue God's blessing. We may not be facing King K or his troops, but really, these pagan kings are simply representative of the world, a world that opposes God, a world that really wants nothing to do with God and cares nothing about the promises and the plans and the provisions of God Most High. Because to be quite honest, to put it rather bluntly, 
God sort of gets in the way. God gets in the way of human pride and ambitions and desires and dreams and aspirations. Those who pursue God's blessings will face conflict in in this life. And we are not waiting the specific promises that were promised to, to Abram to be fulfilled like he was. We're not waiting on an earthly land to be given to us as the promised land. And not waiting on a vast number of descendants, one of whom will be the one who blesses all peoples of the earth, because that one has already come. Jesus Christ, the offspring of Abram, has already come. And because of his crucifixion, because of his substitutionary death, sacrificial death in our place, then all people, from every tribe, people, language, and tongue can have salvation before God Almighty, before the Creator, before the Maker of heaven and earth. Forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Blessing of God through Jesus. So we don't, we don't await those promises to be fulfilled. However, we do await and anticipate the, the consummation of God's redemptive plans and purposes. We wait the ultimate fulfillment of God's plans. We wait According to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the day that we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As people of God today, as people of faith in God Most High, the Creator of heaven and earth today, we await the day not on which a pagan king will invade or conquer, but we await the day that the true Eternal King will arrive once again. The coming of the one true King, King Jesus. The day that He ushers in His eternal kingdom where we will face no more sorrow, no more grieving, no more discomfort, no more illness, no more pain. But in the meantime, folks, as believers in the God of Scripture, in the meantime, we wait. And as we wait, we are called to participate in God's plans and God's purposes On this earth. In fact, God equips and expects us, equips and expects his people to champion his cause on earth. God equips and expects his people to champion his cause on earth. Look back with me at Genesis chapter 14 as we continue the story and see how Abram, as a man of faith in God, used what God had given him to champion God's cause on earth. Genesis chapter 14, picking up the story in verse 13. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. In other words, a man reported what had taken place with this coalition of pagan kings coming in and raiding the land and taking Lot and many others captive. A man came and reported this to Abram. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that, the, that his relative had been taken captive, captive excuse me, he called 
out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. You certainly, I'm sure, heard the phrase, don't mess with Texas. This particular story reminds me that we shouldn't mess with Abram. Don't mess with Abram. That's my takeaway from these few verses. That this man, Abram, who by this point had become very rich, 318 trained men for battle, born in his own household, along with three neighboring Prominent men whose names are difficult to pronounce here in this story, but allied together with him, meaning that their troops were also at his disposal. And ultimately, most importantly, the Lord God was on his side. And this is no local police chase. Abram hears these foreign invaders that are raiding the promised land and have captured his own nephew Lot, and he chases them 120 miles northward to the city of Dan and splits up his troops at night and takes over and conquers these people, taking the people back, taking the loot from battle back. And unlike, unlike Abram, as people of God, as followers of Jesus living in the 21st century, we're not called to Engage in military battle in the name of Jesus. That's one place that Christianity differs from, from Islam, at least radical Islam in the world. However, and don't miss this, we as people of God, as people of faith, are called to engage in a battle against evil in this world. We are called to, to join together and to recognize that There is an evil one who is active and present in this world. A liar, a deceiver, who wants to see people, all people, people of faith, doubt the goodness of God and discount the supremacy of God. And there is a world that opposes God, opposes the truths of God, wants nothing to do with the ways of God. All of us are, all of us, Battle with the temptation of the flesh. Constantly encouraging us, prodding us to do things and to think things that are not consistent with the holy standard of an almighty God. We, folks, do not, do not war against people and pagan armies and kings as we pursue faith in God in this life. But Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we very clearly engage in a battle, a real battle, It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he tells us, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, he writes, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Folks, we are called by God 
and equipped by God to champion his cause in this world. And because he equips us and calls us and expects us to champion his cause, his cause of righteousness and truth and justice and peace in this world, we must receive the armor of God. Receive the armor of God. Receive the the sword of the Spirit, receive the belt of truth, receive the breastplate of righteousness, receive the gospel of peace, receive the shield of faith, all things that God has made readily available to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And because Jesus is the true King, the ultimate King, who has conquered sin and Satan evil and the grave, we can confidently stand against evil with faith in Christ. Receive the armor of God and stand against evil with faith in Christ. The end of this book, not the end of Genesis, but the end of this entire book, the book of Revelation, somewhat mysterious book that describes some things that have already taken place, some things that are currently taking place, and some things that are yet to take place. A book that's often debated in theology circles. But a book that I believe you can summarize in two words. Some of you, I'm sure, think there's no way that you can summarize 22 chapters of Revelation in two words. But I think you can, and this is it. God wins. God wins. Satan and all who are his are doomed for destruction and judgment. God and all who are his will experience victory and eternal life and eternal joy in the presence of our maker. So let's receive the armor of God and let's stand against the evil with faith in Christ. And in the meantime, we wait on the fulfillment of God's plans. We wait for the day on which the king will return. And as we wait, we can learn from Abram and his life and the actions of his life because Abram had learned to wait on God and his faith in God gave him guidance as he waited. Look back with me at Genesis chapter 14 as we read the conclusion of this story, picking up the story in verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating King Kay and the kings allied with him, the, val- the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand, I have sworn on oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Alner, Eshkal, and Mamre. Let them have their share. So here in the conclusion of this story, we have two kings that are introduced. And the contrast between these two kings could hardly be sharper. 
first king, king of Sodom. Remember the one whom Abram had just got out of trouble because he'd already been defeated by these pagan kings and his people had already been taken captive by these kings. And Abram chases them down, frees the people, gains all sorts of loot and possessions from them. And this king of Sodom expresses no gratitude here to Abram for what he's done, no gratitude to the God of Abram who had been with him and led him into this battle. He simply comes out wanting to make a deal with Abram. Hey, you return the people to me and you can keep the stuff for yourself. And Abram's response is, no. No way. I, I want nothing from you. Ultimately, I want what I gain what I have to clearly come from God and God alone so that you can never say that I made you rich. On the other hand, this king, this priest king of Salem, probably short for Jerusalem, Melchizedek is introduced. And he is clearly a a worshiper of the one true God, God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth, because he automatically, initially, gives God the glory for what Abram has done, praises God for this military success. And we don't know how he knew about the one true God during that day. Here's another worshiper, another leader of the true God of Scripture. And as a result of Melchizedek's words of truth, attributing this success to God, Abram gives him a tenth of everything that he's gained in battle. First recorded tithe in Scripture. He says he doesn't want anything to do with the rest of it because he, like Melchizedek, recognizes that everything he has is ultimately only his because God has allowed it to take place. Abram's life and actions here in Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 24, teach us that God provides his people with discernment to distinguish his blessing from earthly goods. God provides his people with discernment to distinguish his blessing from earthly goods. Abram is going to depend on God totally, fully for the fulfillment of God's plans and promises. He's not going to to take the reward from any pagan king. Ultimately, he is waiting for the fulfillment of God, clearly coming from God to take place in his own life. And church, like Abram, as we exercise faith in the God of Scripture, as we exercise faith in God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth, we're invited to pray, to pray for discernment from God's Spirit. Pray for discernment as we navigate through life, as We deal with the tension of living in this world, but not being of this world. As we engage in spiritual warfare in this life, we are invited, called to pray to God's Spirit for discernment. In fact, Jesus told His followers that very thing. He said that there is one coming after me who has much more to say than I have to say. In John chapter 16, Verse 13, he says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, because it is from me 
that he will receive what he, what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Church, we are invited as we wait for the fulfillment of God's plans in our own lives, in this world, we are invited to seek discernment, to pray for discernment from God's Spirit. And as we wait, we don't wait as a patient who, who waits the result of a test. We don't wait as someone who waits to hear the results from a doctor, the prognosis or the diagnosis from their doctor. No, because we don't wait with uncertainty. We don't wait with doubt. We certainly don't wait with hopelessness. We wait with great anticipation of what is yet to come. The fulfillment of God's plans, the return of the King, when we will forever enjoy the unhindered, the unbridled presence of the one who is our maker, God Most High. And as those folks who have gone from death to life, as those who through the bloodshed of Jesus in our place, have gone from spiritual darkness and brokenness to spiritual healing and wholeness in and through Jesus Christ. We patiently anticipate God's full blessing. We patiently anticipate God's full blessing. So we face joys and challenges in this life, uncertainties, difficulties, difficult decisions, we anticipate the return of the King. And as we take some time now to rejoice before our Maker, to sing praises through a hymn of response to our Creator, God Most High, let's join together in faith. Faith that recognizes the great hope that we have in and through Jesus Christ. For faith in God Most High provides courage, discernment, and patience to wait on God's full blessing. Father, we We are grateful people today. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the truths of your word. We're grateful that by your grace you are present with us. And we trust that you have led us. We pray that you would continue to increase our faith in you. that, That we would be faithful people who seek you as we navigate through this life. Lord, may you be glorified in us now. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. As we prepare to to sing a hymn of response, I don't know what what you may be dealing with this morning spiritually. Perhaps you are in a time of waiting. Waiting on direction from God. Waiting on an answer from God. Waiting on an illness to, to go away waiting on comfort from God as you grieve, waiting on the injustices of this world to to disappear. And know, as we wait, we have a God who knows our needs, a God who is good, and a God whose purposes, good and eternal purposes, will be fulfilled. Let's stand and sing together to that great God.